Hello everybody and good evening. Welcome to the Wild Ginger Running live show every Wednesday night at 6.30pm on YouTube. So I am delighted tonight. I am here with um, Harry Jones who has he placed 15th at UTMB in 2019. Um, it was his first 100 miler and that made him the third British guy to cross the line and he's also a coach too. So welcome Harry, how are you tonight? Hey guys, um, yeah I'm all good here in Cardiff and Wales and yeah it's good to be back on the show and talking to you. Fantastic. Well, um, Harry has a YouTube channel as well. It's called Harry Runs. So if you're not yet subscribed to that channel, then definitely um, go over there and hit the subscribe button because it's absolutely fantastic. And there's loads more, um, loads more videos about what we're going to be talking about tonight, which is mainly the UTMB and training for it. Um, so we've got some reader, um, some audience questions tonight here, Harry. So I'm going to yeah. kick off with one, if that's all right, because. Oh, that's awesome. Um, it's Adrian Camillari says greetings from Malta um, oh. and his coach is Jason Greenaway and he knows you and he thinks that you're brilliant apparently <laughs> so, so nice yeah um, <laughs> so um, uh, Adrian is vegan and so you've been an inspiration to him for a while um, and he also loves that you're a really true ambassador for the sport so his question is about where you've chosen to live and train because um, in, he watches a lot of your videos when you were living in Thailand um, so he just wanted to know a little bit about your background like why you decided to go to Thailand and then why you then came back to Wales um, so could you just take us a little bit about your your path yeah, to Southeast sure. Asia? Yeah I'll try and fast track it because I guess it could get quite a long <laughs> answer really. Um, yeah. Yes I grew up in Wales uh, always kind of ran in Wales and then um, a um, bit, bit, bit of time in the mountains, more just hiking in the mountains rather than racing or running in the mountains. And then, yeah, ended up traveling, you know, like a lot of people do, I guess, after university or before university. So I finished my exams, uh, oh, I finished my university degree, and then myself and partner Louise ended up traveling. And we ended up in, in Thailand um, after traveling a bit of Southeast Asia. We kind of decided that we'd like to hang around there for a while, get, get some jobs and, and see what living in Thailand would be like rather than just kind of traveling through countries at a fast pace really just kind of settling down for a little while and, and seeing what that would be like um, so we ended up in Chiang Mai which is in the north of Thailand with anyone who hasn't been there you've got the city um, which is, is I think it's the second largest city in Thailand so it's quite big but it's not massive um, but basically shouldering the city just basically leads into the mountain range so you've just got mountains after mountains that just kind of head all the way towards um, Myanmar so it's a pretty spectacular once you get up out onto those in nature, um, so it really meant that we could uh, yeah could live live in a city and kind of embrace the Thai culture and and, and I was teaching at, at the time in the school, and then on the weekends I could kind of head in the other direction and, and run up into the mountains and uh, that really being there really allowed me to kind of rekindle my love for running. Um, I'd always ran, but for for a few years there I just kind of lost touch with it because I'd always been so focused on racing. Because um, I used to race track when I was younger, I just kind of fell in, fell out of love with the sport. And then when I was back in Thailand, I really started just exploring the trails there. Runs got longer and longer, and then heard about this sport called uh, well, ultra running and, and trail running and, and mountain ultras, and it just sounded incredible. I didn't realize that people ran so far in in one go, and just you know have that much time on the mountains it sounded really exciting to me. So. So yeah, then I just kind of started pursuing that a little bit more. So since then, I've been able to kind of travel a bit with the races and, and uh, explore some different parts of the world and, and be able to train in some big mountains, which has been great fun. But right now, I'm back in Cardiff, back in Wales. Um, one reason to be closer to family, but also just to really um, be able to embrace all the beautiful spaces that we have here in the UK, which unfortunately we can't do right now. But, <laughs> but where I am in Cardiff, you know, Cardiff is... Uh, isn't very far from the Brecon Beacons, which is where I do a lot of my training over the winter. So it's been great just to be able to explore local mountain ranges a bit more closer to home uh, yeah. this year. And it's, it's been great. It's so lovely living in Wales and being so close to the mountains. Well, it would be when we're out of lockdown. Um, but um, do, do you think being in Thailand, um, did it improve your training and your trail running? Because it, it is very hot there, isn't it? Did you have to get up really early? Um, did yeah. it improve things? Yeah, definitely. So when I was teaching, when I really kind of started getting into into it properly, um, I had to get up super early anyway because the school started at half seven in the morning. So 
so yeah typically most life in that kind of part of the world does start a lot earlier anyway because it, yeah because of the heat because of the humidity so i think i was getting up at 5 a.m and running for like an hour and a half um which was great because it meant that you could run through the city and it would just be very quiet just the kind of the market people run, walking around you know getting the, their stalls ready and nothing else um but yeah the heat and the humidity played a big part and i think it was definitely a training advantage running out there in those those kind of conditions where even on an easy run it's obviously very stressful it allows your body to adapt to that heat um which yeah then if you it, it's, it is an adapt adaptation that you do lose you know quite quickly just as you would with altitude training but it's something that i feel like once you've had that kind of long exposure for a while you can kind of get away with racing in a hotter more humid climate if you're not used to it, a bit quicker a bit easier maybe than you would before but, um, but definitely if you're training in a, in a heat, you know, heat, hot environment and then you're coming straight to a cooler place to race, it really helps for sure. Definitely an advantage that I felt when I was living in Thailand. And then I think some of the first ultras I did were in Hong Kong in, in the wintertime there. And uh, Hong Kong can be very hot, but in the winter it's actually quite cool. So coming from the Thailand heat to, to Hong Kong was a was a big advantage for me in races like the Hong Kong 100, I think. Mm, that's really interesting. I've never thought of the heat being an advantage a bit like altitude before. Mm. That's really interesting that you say that. Um, and we've got another question um, now from Guy Greater X. Um, he would like to know, let's just put it up on the screen here. Um, he's just wondering if you will be going back to live in thailand after the pandemic is over and he's just wondering how hard it's been to motivate yourself during this time um like have you been yes how hard is it to motivate yourself to go into your garage and run on your treadmill Um, yeah so how hard has that been well i think it's been hard for everyone i think that's the, the most important thing to remember isn't it so i think in the uk really it feels like it's been maybe a little bit more drawn out than perhaps it's been in other countries uh, with the situation but I think from the start you know wherever we've been in the UK you've been able to go out at least once a day uh, to exercise so for myself in the beginning I wasn't going out running for that once a day I was using that time to spend with Louise my partner to go walking together because it would be the only way we'd get outside um, together and enjoy and that's something we do on a daily basis anyway before all this so I thought it was more important just to take a step back from training at that point to, to make sure, you know, we're, we're both happy and, and able to enjoy our time together. And, you know, running kind of came secondary for the first time for a while for me, I guess, um, during all this. But I think that's the same for a lot of us. We've had to kind of really prioritize what's important. And at least it's given us all a chance to reflect on a few things as well. Um, yeah, so I ended up getting a treadmill, which was something I was looking forward or looking towards doing during coming into next winter as a preparation just because we did have a very miserable winter and I did find it very, very difficult to get out maybe in the winter time when I was preparing for ultra races earlier in the year um, on those on those double days maybe as well. So, so yeah, I did get a treadmill, um, which I, I found quite, quite fun at the time because when I had the treadmill during this lockdown period, I hadn't been running for maybe six weeks. Um, so it was amazing suddenly to have some form of running. And um, it was quite a fun challenge for me mentally at least because treadmills are always something I've always just not bothered with because I'd always rather be outside but there's it's quite a fun way to embrace the running training and there's obviously a few different style sessions you can do on the treadmill and you almost have to enter at least for me almost have to enter another type of kind of mental training to be able to stay on the treadmill for as long as I'd like to to get the similar kind of benefits as I'd have outside um, but I guess moving forward, as you know, lockdown has eased off, it's been a bit easier because now I'm out again running and enjoying maybe some quieter spots that maybe I wouldn't normally run in just so I'm not avoiding the crowds in the park. So, I'm, so that I am avoiding crowds in the parks and everything else. So, um, yeah, I, I forgot the main... Oh, yeah, no, that, that was it. Yeah. Um, but then um, after lockdown and, you know, after all this is over, do you see yourself going back to Southeast Asia or do you think you'll stay in Britain yeah. for a bit of a while now? Yeah, so Thailand, I don't think it's going to be somewhere I'm going to permanently live or base myself again. Um, it'll be de- somewhere that I definitely plan on visiting for maybe a few weeks here and there in the future. We did have a trail running camp that we were running out there for a few years. We were lucky to have uh, Sage Canada come along and, and Sandy, his, his partner there, and then Lucy Bartholomew one of the years as well. Uh, but that coupled with my my local you know Thai trail running friends who, who all got involved and 
and, and be able to kind of show off Chiang Mai and the surrounding mountains. It was a really great experience. So that's something we're really looking forward to doing again. Um, we'll have to see. It's not going to happen probably this year due to due to the situation. But I think into 2021 and, and beyond, we'll try and do that every year just because um, it's such a fun event. But just to bring together that Thai trail running community a little bit as well is, is always good fun. That sounds fantastic. That would be a brilliant training camp out there in Thailand. Um, so yeah, um, everybody follow Harry on Instagram to find out more details of that when uh, when the next one is available. Um, so at this point, I've got some questions about your kind of track career and how you came from track to ultras before we move on to the UTMB training chat. Uh, but I just wanted to give you a sense of people watching uh, because uh, you're a very popular guest here on Wild Ginger Running YouTube channel. So um, we've got Robin Townsend says hello. Um, Sebastian says this should be a great one looking forward to it uh, Philip hello Harry and Claire um, Paul Hamilton says love Harry what an inspiration um, we've got Sharon Jameson we've got Frank Tafuno we've got Jasper Kiernan who has a question just coming up uh, Di Wilson who's also got a question tonight um, and uh, Stephen Mackey says hi uh, John's here there's tons of people watching Nigel Antonio Cardinelli says hello Harry um, Sue hey, Marsh is nice. here <laughs> yeah Biker Bob yeah, is here so yeah tons of people just to give you a little flavour of who is watching there cool um, awesome and Nadia Federman has just said hello as well. So, so we come on to the next question, um, which is a little bit about your track to 100K Ultra um, kind of journey. So Paul Hamilton would like you to just um, say what happened, like why did you go from track racing um, to 100K Ultras and beyond? Like why did you make that decision? Yeah, so just I guess like a lot of, well not a lot of runners, but yeah, runners, yeah, so for myself, yeah, I came into running through the school cross-country lesson, I guess. You know, we had PE and then suddenly we were in high school and we were running cross-country in PE and I'd never never done it before. I'd never, you know, gone out just to run, really, I think. Um, but obviously, like any kid, I was really active with different sports. So I'd always be in the back garden, maybe shooting a basketball around, kicking a football or, or out on my skateboard or what have you. Um, so I was always very active. Um, but yeah, we had the school cross-country lesson and... If you can't tell, if you've never seen me in person, I was obviously quite small, so that probably helped as well compared to a lot of the lads were all kind of rugby lads and stuff. So when we had to run, you know, five laps of the the kind of the school fields and and, and maybe a bit of the farm behind, um, I managed to come out one of the fastest guys, which was a big surprise to me. Um, so that was great fun. And then, uh, yeah, I just kind of entered the sport through that, that direction then. So I just started doing some of the races with the school and then ended up at the local athletics track. And then my running was really just based around the, that kind of system. Then I guess really training with an, you know, a, a track group and, and then up having a bit of speed there and then focusing more on the middle distance events. So I was focused on 800 and 1500, more so the 1500 meter distance um, suited me a bit more. And then just uh, had that passion for, for just really trying to go as fast as I could over those, you know, three and three quarter laps. And um, like a lot of things I get into, I really want to be the best I can. So I was really very focused on it from quite a young age. You know, I'd um, be kind of getting up early and, and going for a nice easy jog in the morning and then training in the track in the evening and probably doing it maybe a little bit too much at times than I should have been at that age. Um, I think coaches were often telling me just to chill out really and, and relax, um, which is always my advice to any young athlete now, just to, just to chill because, you know, if you're, if you want to be consistent, you have to take your time now and leave yourself somewhere to grow with your training as you, as you develop and as you get older. Um, but yeah, I just kind of pursued that up until university years and then I think it was maybe towards, yeah, my final year of university. I think I didn't really have any major injuries. I just maybe had a few niggles, which now would, you know, I would just take a couple of weeks off and be back to training again. But I just ended up just kind of realizing that it wasn't something I was quite as passionate or serious about anymore. And uh, it wasn't something that I was getting as much enjoyment as I'd like. Or maybe I just felt like it wasn't, my competitive nature I guess I felt like I was putting a lot more into it than I was getting back out of it and as you get older with track running that's obviously going to be the case when it comes from 
when you're in those younger years, you know, you'll work all season, you'll get maybe a 10 second PB, a five second PB. And then as you get older, you know, you're chasing a second here, two seconds there, if you're lucky. Um, and I just wasn't feeling like I was, I was getting to where I wanted to. So, so yeah, I just, I started pursuing other things and I was playing drums in a few bands at the time. So that was good fun and, and a bit more of that kind of rock and roll lifestyle. And then, um, yeah, and then university finished, got that, you know, got the degree and everything else, and then just kind of went into full-time work, like a lot of people do. And then the traveling started. And then, like I said earlier in the conversation, I just started running a bit more frequently again, started going out for these longer runs and, and kind of mapping them out on the computer and realizing that I was covering some good distance and feeling really good and strong for it. So then I just entered the, the Chiang Mai Marathon and then it all kind of grew from there, really. I kind of skipped that bit in the middle between track running and, and marathons and just kind of went straight from one end to the other, I guess, um, which was quite quite funny, but it felt great fun at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that is funny, isn't it, to go from just running around a track and then all of a sudden doing 100K. And you don't take things by half because the UTMB was your first 100-miler as well, mm. and we'll, we'll get into that in, in just a bit. Um, but we have got um, one really interesting question here um, from Jasper Kiernan. Um, he says, awesome guest, really looking forward to tonight. Um, and he says, Harry, coming from a track athletics background, um, which has had a problem with drug sheets and doping. Do you think trail and ultra running is relatively clean? And is there any sort of testing system for the elite runners? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a relevant question for sure. I've not witnessed any of it firsthand. So it's, you know, it's impossible for me to say, but I think like any sport, there probably is a few individuals who are doing some stuff that, that is illegal or, you know, against the rules, obviously. Um, if you see my most recent UTMB video, um, a few people asked in the comments, you actually see me getting getting a blood test um, at the race there. So if you are, so with the, the Ultra Trail World Tour races that I, that I race in and with the ITRA, which is the International Trail Running Association, they have what they call the quartz system. Um, so if you are one of the elite athletes and you are uh, finishing on the podiums or you're your score, like your ranking is, is like above a certain level, you will get tested um, before the major races. Um, so partly due to like health and their research. So that's, that's great because it, it kind of is looking out for the runners. Um, quite often they're telling me before a race that that's something uh, that, I'm, that my blood numbers are maybe looking a bit fatigued, which isn't something you always want to hear before a race, but still within the normal range. But you'd like them to tell you that obviously everything's looking great and really high. Um, but it is important to have that kind of feedback, I think, for elite athletes especially, especially in a sport like ultra running, which is relatively quite new and quite young. Um, so it is, is nice to know like what the limits are with training a little bit, really, and, and the demands on the sport. So I guess that picture from a science perspective will grow um, as the results come in over the years. Um, but, yeah, they are testing them for, for other products or other other things i believe um or if you have got abnormally high blood scores then obviously um according to your biological passport they could you know pull you up for something a bit more serious then i guess um if you are uh, one of the elites who is representing their country i believe at, at the world championships i i believe anyway um or some of the guys like Kylian Journey, for example, who's on the you know does a lot of ski mountaineering and he's in the world champs there all the time. Then some of those some of those runners may be on that kind of biological passport system that people of the athletics community would be on as well. So there is testing, but the, the, there isn't enough testing for sure. Um, you need to be testing people year round, um, which you know is always the, the discussion that's being brought up across all sports. You need to catch people when they don't expect it, basically, don't you? So um, hopefully things will improve there. But I guess it's a, it's a big process and there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of money involved in it as well to get the testing as efficient as it needs to be. But there is at least there is some level of testing at the moment. Yeah. And it's like as if the prize pool is big, then you expect more things like that to happen, mm. don't you? And then more testing to happen. Um, but I know that Sage Canaday is quite up on the whole doping issue. And he's, yeah. he, he quite a lot of the time he retweets, um, not at the moment because there's no racing going on, but he has mm. in the past um, tweeted various things about it. So so Jasper, if you're keen to follow those events, then maybe give Sage Canaday a follow as well. Yeah, yeah Sage, Sage is really clued up for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, if anybody wants to see um, Harry's UTMB 
video i have put a link to um his youtube channel in the description below this film so um so get on there and um also you can see um i've yeah i did an interview with you harry after the utmb didn't i so that's in there as well um so you can see harry finishing um on there um um, fantastic and now we are actually talking about the UTMB um, <laughs> and I've just just mentioned you crossing the fishing, finishing line and I was there and it just felt so fantastic um, how did you personally feel at just nailing your first 100 mile race? <laughs> um, yeah I felt amazing obviously crossing that finishing line was just the best feeling after 24 hours on your feet to be able to kind of collapse and then uh, <laughs> and then just oh, like you know made it is an amazing feeling for sure um, I think that as well as, you know, the, the crowds and the support in Chamonix, uh, very lucky to still have quite a lot of people, you know, cheering at the finish line at that time. So that was amazing. It felt like I won the race, even though I was 15th, but just everyone's support was incredible. Um, and yeah, it was just a really good personal achievement. And to be able to see my partner, Louise, at the finish line as well, who who is a big part of yeah, you know, my training process and everything leading up to her as well. She supports me a lot and um, really means a lot to be able to share that with family as well. Um, so yeah, it was it was an incredible feeling, and then I guess that with the kind of natural runners high that that you have is just it's like nothing else. Um, yeah, so it was it was amazing, really really incredible feeling. Yeah, and and you mentioned Louise as well because didn't she spare you on kind of towards the end of the race when you were really yeah. feeling it, and she was just like, "This is what you came for." Um, yeah. How did she help in that respect? Yeah, so I think that was the biggest takeaway for me coming out of the race was that moment where Louise just said the right words at the right time, you know, I think she mentioned, you know, so-and-so has just come in to the A station before you and, you know, you're not looking as, as destroyed as they are or this runner came in and they were, you know, vomiting in a bucket and you look great. Like you're telling me that you look tired, but you look, you look great, you know, so just, just keep going, you know, push on, push on. And then as soon as you kind of get, get those thoughts in your head, like, yeah, actually, like I can do it. So, so yeah, that kind of spurred me on to really think, okay, there's a runner ahead that I can see, I'll go catch them up. And then I just kept thinking, okay, get get another runner, catch another runner. And then when you get to that last major climb, it's, it's very steep and you can see it kind of zigzagging up the mountain. I could see all these runners hiking up. And realistically, you know, if you're going at that same pace, they're probably, you know, 20 minutes ahead of you or what have you. But if you can move a lot faster and run a lot faster, you, you'll catch them within a few minutes. So I suddenly had this kind of overwhelming uh, last, you know, second wind in the race and was able to catch quite a fair few runners in that last section. But that was the takeaway, really, is that so much of it is mental within those longer races. And I think what happened was I'd just seen all these strong runners that were around me that I've raced before and they were maybe having really tough moments within the race. And you kind of absorb some of that mental, not negativity, but some of that mental struggle that everyone else is going through. And you think, oh, you know, I, I should be feeling that as well. Or maybe you don't, or just subconsciously you start to kind of have some of those sensations as well. Whereas if you can kind of shake it off, you 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 realise, oh, actually, you know, there's a lot more to give. And that's something that's always been a big part within 100-kilometer races that I've had and experienced because I've done so many at that distance that I've always been able to kind of find the extra gear towards the end of those races. But I just wasn't quite expecting that in the 100-miler to be able to run so fast towards the end of the race. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it was a big learning lesson in that, in that, in that, um, yeah, at that point, really, just to know that even if it is one of those longer ultras and you've been out there for a lot longer than you ever have before, there's still always something deeper that you can pull up and you need to to make it to the finish line a little bit quicker. Mm, that is fascinating. I yeah, I love how that just that those one those few words said to you yeah. by Louise. It just it just highlights the importance of getting the right support crew, doesn't it? And getting the right people around yeah. you. And then you just were like the Duracell bunny. You just got another battery <laughs> inside you, and you just you were yeah. off. It was brilliant. Um, and so can we just rewind a little bit back to your training for the UTMB? Um, like like in a, like a massive nutshell. Obviously, it takes years to train for this kind of thing. But um, for what was your kind of weekly mileage and and like what was your kind of weekly ascent did you did you log it like that or was it yeah more on so, time yeah so it's all on Strava if anyone oh. wants to kind of look back and and see that all my training's on there um but yeah I think in terms of distance and time um what would generally happen when I look at a training block like that from experience I'll know that this this kind of block of time throughout the week so whether it's 20 hours or, or whatever I'm building up to 
is is achievable for my body to catch up with and to recover enough between those long days on the mountains um and then typically that ends up being around the kind of mileage and vertical that i'm looking for anyway so i think from that from that standpoint um yeah i was in chamonix at the time so i was in the perfect training ground for, for someone like utmb and i was able to get onto some of the race trails for those those longer more specific race uh, runs where i could run on the race course which is great um over a few days with friends as well which is fantastic which will really give you that kind of similar sensations to what you experience on race day you know by day two of, of doing some long days out there but just being able to familiarize yourself with different points of the course as well um but yeah from from a time perspective i think maybe at the at the most it was up to i think there was some really big week maybe 24 hours i would want to say of running um but that was a lot of hiking as well so that kind of gives you a bit more of less impact on the legs but there was still 10,000 meters or so of climbing within that week so um so yeah it's a lot on the legs but it was like you say it was it was the kind of year building up to those big weeks ahead of the race to know that the endurance was really at an all-time high before able to before being able to kind of taper down towards race day um but really the principles i was aiming for was you know just a lot of time on legs throughout the week you know focusing within the block of doing some really kind of long back-to-back days which are going to be important for something like a hundred miler and um, knowing that my body could take that so it might not be might not work for everyone you know if, if you're not um really aiming to be at the front of the pack you might want to take a less risky approach um but yeah back-to-back days for me there and and then still making sure i was putting some quality into the re- into the week so still trying to do some element of speed not that it was super lightning fast because it doesn't need to be for utmb but you know, relative to the event itself. So still some kind of tempo work within the week, um, some strong uphill work. And some of that might have just been hiking at a fast, hard pace just to develop the strength there in the legs. Some of that was running quite hard on, on a more mild gradient just to get the legs ready and the lungs and, and the heart and everything else pumping as much as you want to. Um, but yeah, I think really anyone looking to, to kind of approach a 100-mile race like that in UTMB in the mountains your, your main focus really has to be that endurance base as a whole and just getting some really long days in your legs and, uh, yeah, being sensible about it too. Yeah, and, and just enjoying being in, in the beautiful mountains. What a, what a great it, yeah. way yeah. to train and enjoy life. And um, and we have a question from Bob Deary about your training um, because he noticed on Strava that you do a lot of cycling. Um, I'm not sure if you did a lot of cycling in the build-up to UTMB, um, but do you find did you find that training for the UTMB, you put in a lot of cross-training as well? Yeah, not as much as I wanted to. Um, so I did actually have my bike with me uh, when I was in Chamonix, but um, I didn't end up getting out on cycling too much because um because yeah i love i love cross training i love riding my bike i think i think you know a second after running well you sometimes i prefer over running it's <laughs> it's just a, such a great way to get outdoors and to be able to spend a lot of time outdoors um, without necessarily thrashing your legs or, or giving your body a bit of a beating you know so i think cycling is a fantastic cross training element and you'll see a lot of the guys um, a lot of the top guys in ultra running um, doing a fair amount of cycling within their training routine because it allows you to put a lot of extra time into building your aerobic base but without causing any of that extra kind of I say damage but I don't mean like you should be damaging your legs when you're running but obviously if you go for a lot if you suddenly increase your volume of your running you're going to feel that in your muscles you're going to feel very sore you might be putting a bit of risk on your joints and or maybe a few other kind of injury prone areas if you don't build up slowly but with cycling you can get out on the bike for a whole day if you wanted to and just take it really easy but be building that aerobic base but you're not causing any extra fatigue or too much extra fatigue than you would if you were to do the same thing and go out for a super long run, which would take you days to recover. Um, so in the lead up to UTMB, I didn't do a lot of cycling because I was really just trying to put most of my energy into time on feet, as I mentioned, with it being my first 100 miler as well. Um, but yeah, right now I have been doing a lot of cycling. Um, as I mentioned at the start of lockdown, I wasn't going out running. Um, so I had a bike to train in the garage. So all my all my training, I just thought I'd just cycle and on the bike train I was with, like a lot of people have been, um, just yeah, just to keep myself sane and to have a bit of fun there. But yeah, since since that, it's something I've kept up a bit more within my training because with there being no immediate races right now, um, it's a good way, as I said, for me to still have you know a reasonable amount of training volume within the week, but really kind of give my running legs a bit more of a rest than I would do 
and also give myself an area to to build on when the races do come back so when the races are starting to be a little bit close on the horizon i'll probably transition you know some of that time that i'm spending on the bike right now to maybe put in an extra running on that day or to increasing my running volume a little bit more again um but on the whole cycling is something i've periodically done quite a lot within my training just because transport for the main reason you know when i was working it was always my way to get back and forth to work if i wasn't running commuting and i just enjoy it and it's a great way to enjoy the outdoors yeah cycling is is definitely awesome and just the lower impact is just is mm. just fantastic complementary to, to trail running isn't it um and you did mention also that you did some speed work um along with the, the lot a um, lot of running um but did you do any any specific kind of strength training or anything um for the utmb um we've got a question here from kurt who says do you do anything specific to um to avoid being very quad dominant you know like to activate yeah. the glutes and the hamstrings yeah sure Sure. Um, yeah. So um, yeah. So I'll do some specific work um, with like uh, your, your kind of ferro bands, your elastic bands. Um, I'll do some work with those to really try and activate, make sure my glutes are being activated. Um, yeah, some single leg squats or something, an exercise that's super simple but I really love, um, and something I've always kind of done because I really find it helps me with my mobility as well. Um, with having a few ankle twists and rolls, like a lot of us do. Um, for me, anyway, I have to be really careful because my left leg is a little bit more dominant than my right, just because the right foot is the one that I always seem to roll if I'm not if if I'm being a bit stupid on the downhills or something like that. So, um, so yeah, so I do do a bit of focus there to make sure that everything is is working well, balanced between the two. But yeah, single single sorry single leg lunges and squats and uh, are, are my kind of go tos. Um, but yeah, during UTMB, I wasn't necessarily doing a lot of strength work in the gym just because I was spending so much time on the mountains that I was building a lot of strength just in the mountains themselves, going up steep terrain or coming down steep terrain uh, with the descending. But yeah, making sure, yeah, like you said there, making sure you are keeping keeping a bit of balance there between between your quads and your hamstrings and your glutes um, is important for sure. So yeah, I always do a few single leg lunges and squats always single leg because I like to isolate the, the two legs like I said because otherwise I find that my left leg is always doing that little bit more work than my right if I'm not careful so um yeah it's a good question mm, that's brilliant thank you so much for those um those exercise tips as well so we'll all be going and doing those once a week for sure um and you mentioned the uphills and the downhills so I just wanted to ask you a little bit about the uphill and downhill training for UTMB because obviously not everybody lives in a mountainous area um and uh, and am I right in thinking did, did you use poles on the on the UTMB just yeah think, for sure yeah you did sure. oh, okay um yeah so should we just talk a little bit about like the training for the uphills and then there's a audience yeah. member question on the downhills yeah so I think we're a race like UTMB where you've got over 10,000 meters of climbing in the race you're going to be spending a lot of that time hiking so um unless you're really at the front of the field or if you're a and you're sprinting around um you're going to be spending a lot of time hiking and even those guys at the front i think for me um you know i wasn't at the front for when i was 15th but i was i was hiking a majority of those climbs just because they're so long and some of them are pretty steep and it's a lot of accumulated gain so you're going to be spending a lot of time hiking so leading into a race like that you should be putting some focus into into hiking so if you can get out to your mountains trying to resist the, the temptation from running too much on the uphills and, and spending that quality time hiking and when you get nice and efficient with the poles um, you'll find yourself moving that little bit faster and and yeah as a hiker um, you know as, a, as someone who who's focused on hiking um, a little bit more of these past few years it makes all the difference and you'll notice that I've been very lucky to train with runners like Scotty Hawker who came in uh, oh, third this year he's a he's a really fast powerful hiker and I've had runs when I first ran with him a few years back when he'd be hiking the uphill and I'd be hiking and then I'd have to jog a couple of steps and then to catch back up with him and he'd just be hiking the whole time because it's just he's just very efficient and very powerful with that hiking motion so it's about developing those hiking muscles and getting those ready um, and uh, efficient, really, because it is a slight different, obviously, effect. And if you're just running up those hills where you may put a little bit more for your calves and uh, and your quads. Yeah, it is so, incredible how it, how different running yeah. is to hiking, because when I was training yeah. for the Cape Bath Ultra, I did a lot of running in my training. I was running like 20 miles, 30 miles, la da 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 And then when I got to the actual race, I was just hiking a lot with poles, and I yeah. just got really yeah. worn out because I hadn't really trained for that. 
Yeah, when you're using the poles, yeah, you're obviously using your arms a lot more as well. So you need to need to get them stronger as well. Just, you know, we don't mean just kind of doing lots of bicep curls, but just getting out there on the trails with the poles and, and making sure that you are putting some weight through them because that's where their benefit's coming from. But you don't need to put a lot through that. It's just that little bit, but it does add up throughout the course of a long race. Um, yeah, so that's really what, what I would say the focus should be. You really need to make sure you're getting some vertical in the legs and getting that hiking nice and strong for a race like UTMB. And, uh, yeah, it, it does take some time. And it is about having some big days in the mountains. Yeah, definitely some weekends up in the Lake District and in Wales and, and the Peak District and things like that. Um, and we have a question about the downhills now, um, again from Kurt, um, who says, I have to ask this one to every guest because I'm always looking for new insight. What tips do you have for running down technical descents? They scare the heck out of me and I wind up getting passed <laughs> on the downs frequently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. It is difficult if you don't live somewhere where you've got technical trails to hand. I know this is something people struggle with. Um, but yeah, with technical descents, it is about practice, I think, more than anything else. Um, so you need to just, even if you've got a small local trail with maybe just 10 meters of somewhat technical trail, you can just kind of run back and forth along there, trying to be as efficient and uh, and almost trying to glide over as best you can, trying to make sure you're, you're taking slightly different routes each time as well just to kind of practice the unpredictable um but the main the main kind of takeaway i think you need to focus on is looking up a lot more than you think you you should be so i think a lot of people that are new to technical trails or runners who perhaps haven't had a lot of experience or they are scared will look down at their feet and then what ends up happening is you end up running a lot slower or struggle a lot more with the terrain because it's coming at you a lot faster because you're only looking at a small area right immediately in front of your feet you don't have a lot of time to prepare and um, so if you try and bring your gaze up a little bit higher and then you can look a lot further ahead of you um, you'll probably surprise yourself over time of how much your brain remembers and talks to your legs without you really having to cognitively kind of process that and um, you'll have that kind of natural reaction going on and your body will learn to kind of assess what's going on in front of you and and really almost like a, a musical sheet will kind of feed that through to your body and tell you which you know chords to play or which you know where, where to step and where to land and what looks good and along with that like I said it is experience though because I feel like on a subliminal level as well you you kind of start to read the terrain a lot better you understand what maybe a slippy rock looks like or you know what that type of rock structure or grip grip will be like or you know is that rock going to move is it going to support my weight does it look you kind of scan the area a lot more efficiently than maybe you would in the past. So practice is, is what you need, but it doesn't mean you have to go to really big mountains all the time. Just getting to your local trail and, and finding a little bit of, of something that is a bit rougher will help you out. That's fantastic, and I really like the, yeah, the looking ahead, and um, and also the uh, looking at the different rocks to see which one might slip and which one might not. Because that's that's really useful information. You can only learn that with experience, can't you? You can't have someone just tell you, oh, this rock does this, this rock does that. You've got to find it out for yourself. Yeah. Um, and then we've got a little bit about injury prevention. So we've got a bit about injury and, and, and blisters is another question as well. Um, so I want to read you out a question from Seb here who says, first of all, great guest, really looking forward to this one. Um, and belated congratulations to Harry on his performance at UTMB. So uh, I would be interested in some of Harry's strategy for injury prevention, like um, anything he does uh, exercise-wise, diet-wise, recovery, etc. because ultra running can be very hard on the body. So he is looking for some insight um, for his ultra running training. Yeah, so kind of going back to the, those kind of basic strength work that I was discussing earlier. Um, in the winter months, I kind of got into the routine now doing a lot more strength-focused stuff just to build it up towards the, the season make sure everything's structurally sound and maybe overcoming as I mentioned a few of those ankle tweaks or or little uh, kind of minor injuries that may, maybe you'd pick up for a hard racing season um, so it is important if you've got the yeah maybe if you've got a, a local gym nearby or you know you know know a strength trainer or get contact a strength trainer it could be cool, a good idea to learn a little bit more about different strength work you could implement into your running to help kind of yeah give yourself a little bit more confidence in, in your body in, in terms of the damage that you might do to it if you kind of step up your training into the into the more summer months when you might spend more time in the mountains or be running an ultra uh, um, but even like I said just doing the basics so 
just doing some lunges, doing some step ups, um, some single leg squats. The, the, the kind of exercises that me, mean that you have to use the stabilizing muscles in your legs. Um, so you have to have that, have that sense of balance in there as well as the strength component. Then you'll be, you'll be kind of strengthening yourself up and preparing yourself for being on uneven terrain a little bit more. So having something like a, a balance board or a busu ball are great as well for, for really getting the ankles and stabilizing muscles nice and strong while you're doing those exercises are really useful for trail runners. Um, so that as long as well as, you know, spending, like I said, spending some time in the mountains, even if you're just hiking around, you, you are, you know, you're going to be strengthening up your body there and helping it get used to that kind of terrain. So there's specificity there. Um, but yeah, cross training elements. Um, if you're playing, you know, sports that, that are very kind of multi-directional, um, not that I do, but but yeah, if you're someone who does different things, you know, so if you're doing something like squash or football or anything like that, um, what I found with the athletes that I coach is they they often um, have a certain level of resilience then towards you know maybe rolled ankles or, or injuries like that because they're constantly used to changing directions and putting different stresses on the joints and so those are great sports to kind of pick up um, or to to get back into maybe if, just once a week or, or now and again if you have the option opportunity to do that just to keep your body moving in a slightly different way on different directions because um, when we're running we're usually just kind of going forwards hopefully <laughs> um, but yeah if you're on the trails you're going to be putting a few demands on your legs in different directions if you're hopping over rocks or what have you or if you take a slip and you kind of land a bit funny you'll be a bit more prepared for that um, so that's always something that's uh, cool to implement into I think but for me as I said it's just a bit more strength in the winter so maybe I'll lift a few heavier weights um, nothing crazy um, but really just focusing in on, on those kind of basic exercises maybe doing some some extra balance work but because I, I dedicate a lot of time to the mountains throughout the year, my body kind of holds it quite well, really. That's a fantastic answer. And I, I like the thing about the other sports as well, because I know that Seb does play hockey. So I think that will stand awesome. him in good stead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and I just want to read you out a couple of questions because people are really enjoying this. So I just thought you might want to know. Um, King Lifetail says, thank you guys. Perfect video to eat with my tea. Um, and Sharon Jameson says, ace advice, Harry, thanks. Um, and uh, yep, yep, tons of people. Um, um, Adrian Camillari says, woohoo, loving this. Um, and Paul Hamilton said, thanks, Harry, your answer was really interesting. Thank you, because you answered one of his questions. Um, I think so, yeah, another aspect of that last one with recovery, yeah, obviously sleep, really important again, it's a good sleep routine, as we all know. Um, bit of maybe kind of self-massage if you've got any kind of tight areas or going to a masseuse or physio to get those sorted out. Uh, foam rolling quite regularly. Um, and yeah, just looking after yourself and investing some time into that recovery process is as, is as important as the training itself. And that's always something important to remember. Yeah, yeah, we all forget that, don't don't we? Um, and um, Seb is actually here and he says, thank you so much for such a detailed answer. So yeah, thank you. Cool. And um, we just got a few more questions. Um, and the next one is also, it's kind of like injury, but um, different type of injury here. So Vic Knight is keen to know um, what kind of foot management or blister prevention strategy do you use on ultras? Um, do you use like Vaseline or double socks um, or tape? Um, what, yep. what do you do? Um, yes, I'm quite lucky that I don't seem to have much issues with blisters these days. Um, probably just from the years of, of running. Um, like I said, even though I haven't been racing ultras, um, you know, all the way through, it's been a few years of ultras now, but because I've been running from such a young age and doing plenty of other sports, I've always kind of had quite hard calluses on my feet. Um, so I, so that, that suits me quite well. So I haven't really, so I, so I, so I think after UTMB, I don't think I had any blisters um, and amazingly no black toenails, which is great. Um, probably because one or two were already missing. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I think really my advice would be for anyone, yeah, just to put some Vaseline on your feet um, and have a good pair of socks that, that aren't going to get too heavy, that are going to wick away the moisture. Um, so I haven't got any tans right now. Um, but yeah, making sure you've got, got some nice kind of lightweight socks, which aren't going to hold a lot of moisture in, is an important aspect of that. So maybe with a long, long ultra, 
or even if it's just a moderately long ultra changing your shoes halfway through or changing your socks halfway through could help you if you suffer you know maybe then you'd have a if you do have any particular hot spot areas that you suffer from or you just areas that you know always blister up and don't seem to get any stronger applying some tape ahead of the race would be really useful um to those areas um yeah or just uh, if you wanted to go really kind of um heavy into it i guess you could try hardening your feet with with rubbing alcohol i think is, is what some people would try um but that's pretty hardcore but yeah um what i would also say as well is if you know that you're going to be running an ultra where you're going to be wet for a lot of the time so typically yeah, if you're running an ultra in the uk in the winter time um it's gonna or you know autumn even it's gonna be very wet likely if you're in the mountains probably gonna be quite boggy maybe at some points so trying to really replicate that in training in your long runs as well even if that means purposely jumping into a stream at the beginning of your run to get your feet wet and then running that run with wet feet it might suck within the moment and you might end up with some blisters within that run but you'll learn how to kind of run through that pain and discomfort a little bit as well um or at least you'll be able to test whether your foot management skills, so what you've done before the runs, whether you've put Vaseline on or if you've taped your feet, you know how well that holds up. And then that will give you a little bit more confidence in the race. Um, as well as making sure that you've got enough space in your shoes as well. So if your shoes are too tight, then you're likely going to have a few more blisters going on or if there's any areas that are rubbing a little bit more. So maybe trying to lace up your shoes a little bit differently or going up a shoe size could help as well to avoid those black toenails if that's an issue too. Yeah, going up a shoe size is definitely a thing. Um, like your feet can just get squashed in like that when they swell, can't they? So yeah, up a yeah. shoe size is definitely something that I definitely need to look into as well. Um, and so we just got a couple of questions about um, your plant-based diet. Um, and then before we talk about what you're doing next um, and some exciting family news that you've got. Um, so first of all, um, if these questions kind of combine into, into two, so I'll do them both at the same time. Okay. Um, because you'll probably cover both. Um, so Arlene Maitlock um, has been vegan for over a year. Um, she was veggie before that for a long time. Um, and she's found that she recovers much faster now. Um, now right. She thinks the dairy foods were giving her joint inflammation. Um, but she sometimes misses cheese and ice cream. Um, so she wants to know how long you've been vegan for and um, what do you consider your most important fueling tips during a race and then recovery afterwards as well. So don't worry, I'll read this again. <laughs> in a minute um, but, um and then how long and, sorry go on karen yeah, oh sorry and then okay, go, go. Philip, yeah. philip haddock wants to know what your favorite snacks are on a long run so you um, i was just reading that out in case you might cover it um in sure. you know in what your most important fueling tips during a race um so should we start with how long have you been vegan for um and yeah. and yeah why did you make the transition yes i've been vegan for seven years now um so yeah the transition was just kind of a natural progression really i think it was more for it's more for the animal side of things um so yeah my partner louise who i've been with for a long time she she's been vegetarian since she was 10 i believe um and she made that decision herself because yeah she didn't didn't want to eat animals anymore um and then as we you know started to start our relationship she kind of got the ball spinning in my head, I guess, of, of these ideas and, and how, how it kind of related. Um, at the time, I was still running track, and, you know, so I kind of had the whole, I'm an athlete, I need my meat, and you know, <laughs> I need to be strong, and all this mindset. And then gradually, I guess, I just more and more started eating more vegetarian meals, kind of cutting meat out of my diet. So it was a really gradual thing over a number of years for me. And then um, I think we were actually we were in India at the start of our travels, um, and I realized after maybe a month that yeah it'd been a month since i'd eaten any meat at all because where we were um at the time volunteering it, it didn't look that appealing to eat meat um so yes yeah, so i realized i'd been kind of vegetarian for a whole month uh, fully and i felt great for it and it, you know i felt really energized and, and didn't have any issues and you know i was i was doing a bit of running and going to the gym and stuff like that and, and then um yeah, and then that, I just thought, okay, I'll carry this on at least. So I was, I was kind of vegetarian for a year then. And then I think when we settled in Thailand, we kind of made the switch then to uh, to cut dairy out of our diet. And uh, I think cheese was probably one of the last things for us to give up, um, which is kind of funny because in Thailand, it's quite hard to get hold of cheese. It's not like, <laughs> it's not particularly something people eat a lot of. So uh, 
but yeah eventually we uh we kind of cut that out and um yeah we started feeling great yeah like yeah like uh the question uh, was said yeah recovery felt great for me and it, it tied in then to me really learning about these longer trail races ultra races so of course people like scott jurek and uh probably rich roll as well these ultra athletes who are vegan plant-based I uh, started reading a bit about these guys and realizing that it could be done and it was safe to do it, which was, you know, seven years ago. It's, it's not a long time ago, but even since between now and then, there's so much more out there and so many more athletes, at least who are vocal about about it now. Um, so, um, so, yeah, that gave me the confidence to really pursue it and carry on with it, and I felt better and better for it. And, uh, yeah, and then so the, the kind of athletic side of it was a bit of a byproduct, really, and the from from the kind of humane side of it so uh yeah it's something i'm really really happy with and i couldn't couldn't imagine not being vegan anymore mm. and do you find it difficult you know flying to all these races at different places um to find things to fuel yourself during the race or do you take um, a lot of vegan snacks with you um, um yeah have you got any favorites i would say these days it's pretty easy really um and maybe that ties in with myself being a little less fussy as well. I think when you first go vegan, you're really looking for, um, or plant-based, maybe you're looking for a lot more direct alternatives to what you used to eat before, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then the more you kind of enjoy the diet and, and explore different, you explore different recipes, different types of foods, and maybe slightly different eating routines or you know different meals that you wouldn't necessarily be eating otherwise. Um, so for me, I kind of found myself really adaptable then to wherever I'm traveling. I really kind of enjoy the local, you know, fruit and veggies on offer or or have more confidence maybe if I go into a restaurant that doesn't necessarily offer a vegan or even a vegetarian dish, just being a lot more confident to say, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm vegan, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Just give me some fresh vegetables and some brown rice and some potatoes or whatever it is or some beans and, and you know and chickpeas or what have you and then if you have the conversation you know in a very kind of a relaxed manner and, and just discuss it simply you know they're not going to turn you away are they really so um so yeah it's um yeah it's been something that has been got only got easier over time because as well it's a lot more recognized now as well globally isn't it it's a lot more I think that, you know, it's very rare to maybe go to a restaurant these days unless you're in the middle of nowhere that doesn't have some sort of vegetarian option at all. And then that's very easy just to veganize. So, um, yeah, I've always found it quite easy these days. And uh, in terms of snacks, um, I kind of make, end up, yeah, maybe I'll make my own or something if, if I need to, if I can't find anything. But typically, as you know, those kind of snacks for me, maybe for a race, um, would be kind of dark chocolate. Um, so something like lint chocolate which seems to be available globally so that's always pretty easy to get hold of um or just some yeah some potato chips crisps sorry um which you can find and you can always check the ingredients you know it's always pretty clear if they're vegan or not um or just some nuts you know it's so as you kind of evolve with with the diet or your time within the diet i think it gets easier because looking at the back of packets and ingredients just becomes second nature to you you don't think about it anymore and then you kind of learn what you kind of can't have anyway. Um, even if it is, seems a bit vague, you just don't bother maybe. So um, so that that's typically it. Um, rolling on to the second part of the question, I think it was what do I eat on long runs? Um, yeah, fueling tips during a long race. Yes. Yeah, so, so during a long race, I'll um, use Unived gels. Um, so those, I'll have maybe two gels an hour. Um, use their Unived um, Elite range which has quite a high calorie intake because it has a mix of complex and simple carbohydrates. Um, so it means that I can get quite a lot of calories an hour from those. So typically I'll focus on two gels an hour. Um, or I'll have maybe, if it's a really hot race, I'll have a bottle of their drink mix and a gel each hour. And I think that ends up being around 380 calories um, within the hour from those sources. And then in terms of other kind of solid foods within the race, uh, things that work well for me that I enjoy would be um, yeah, peanut butter jam sandwich, something similar like that. Or um, maybe uh, for UTMB, actually, I was making rice balls. So just plain white rice, boiling that up and uh, stuffing it in a little kind of sandwich baggie and then putting a little bit of avocado in there, maybe a little pinch of salt. And that was quite a nice, very easy on the stomach mm-hmm. um, 
little treat to have on the trail then um, because there was no way I was going to be eating just uh, sugary sugary gels or, or things like that for, for as long as I was going to be out there. Um, but yeah, typically then that allows me to, to, to kind of manage then, like I said, having some solid foods and, and having those really easy to get down gels within the race as well to keep the energy high uh, throughout the race without getting uh, without overdoing it too early in the race. Um, but yeah, I'll always snack on some fruits as well throughout the race at the aid station. So if I need some quick to grab, then bananas mm-hmm. are something that's typically always there. Yeah. And if you chew that enough, then it's just like a natural gel. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? I love the idea of the rice bag with avocado and really like that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds delicious. Um, and how about recovery afterwards? Do you have a special kind of um, vegan-based smoothie or anything like that? Yeah, so Unived have uh, my sponsor. I do have a recovery mix, so I'll have that straight away. With um, and I'll usually dilute it down quite a lot because I think hydration is just as important as getting in the calories. Typically for me, anyway, because I sweat quite a lot, and a lot of the races you'll finish in that midday heat. And for these longer races, if you start at nighttime or you know if you start earlier in the morning, you'll for you know for the races, the ultras, you typically be running through the heat of the day so it's important to really focus on hydration as much as anything as well as then yeah just getting it all in so typically i'll have a have the recovery mix maybe but i'll also focus in on you know fruits so watermelons a great one really easy to stomach so if you're feeling a bit queasy and um, really easy to get down and then after that then yeah, maybe a vegan pizza uh, maybe another vegan piece to get in <laughs> as much as you can. I think volume is important because you burn through the calories quite intensely throughout an ultra. And um, yeah, there's not a lot left on me after some of these big races. So you need to make sure you're eating enough and yeah, and enjoy and treating yourself. You know, it's the it's the big you know trail party after all the training you've been through and and the race itself. You need to you know treat yourself a little bit and get those calories in. So um, so yeah. That's, that is an important aspect and it can make the difference between recovering quickly after a race or, or it's taking weeks for yourself to feel a bit normal again. Yeah, that's really good advice there and that's lot, lot, loads of nice food ideas as well. I like the idea of the vegan pizzas for sure. Um, that would be delicious. Um, uh, yeah, so thank you very much for all the information about the food there. And just um, just two last questions really. Um, oh, one's quite a big one. <laughs> um, what is next? <laughs> so obviously there's no races this year. Um, and when we were at the UTMB and we were chatting there, you did say you might consider doing it again, but then there's so many races in the world that you, you'd enjoy to do um so di wilson has this question for you um well first he says harry is a brilliant runner and ambassador for the sport couple of quick questions he's run all over the world if he had to choose one um like one memorable race or run um what would that be and why <laughs> yes yeah, such a hard question to answer i'm really <laughs> terrible that that kind of uh, yeah ultimate kind of number one races um it's a really difficult question. I think I'll probably answer it differently whenever I've had it. Um, but yeah, race one race that really stands out that I'd love to go back to again would be Labrador Ultra Trail. Um, the Dolomites are just very spectacular mountain range, really beautiful. Um, There's definitely some moments in that race where I was kind of blinking my eyes like, whoa, is this real or am I kind of imagining this? Just because you're running up these incredible, just very dramatic mountain faces around you, but you'd be running just climbing for a really long time um, and you just be in this incredible valley which was in the middle of like the mountain range itself and it's just spectacular so um yeah Dolomites Labrador Ultra Trail definitely stands out for me as, as a race that was just really mind-blowing really amazing really beautiful and great atmosphere so I'd love to go back there again and, and have a strong race but yeah I'm, I'm very lucky I've raced in a lot of different places and um if you watch my race videos, I always feel like maybe it's a little bit repetitive because I'm always like, oh, it's so spectacular and so beautiful. But I feel very lucky that there's very few races that I've done where I haven't appreciated the trails. And uh, I think if you're a trail runner you can, and you're doing a race that is so physically and emotionally demanding, you quite often come out with fond memories of, of the nature and of the trail itself. Um, you know, even if it's completely different from one mountain range to another, um, you can always appreciate the, those things on the trail. 
Yeah, wow, yeah, Lavarado looks amazing. The Dolomites, I've run in the Dolomites before and they just are incredible. So I can see why you've chosen that one. Um, um, and Dai has got a second part of his question and he says, when the races start back, um, seeing as you've completed the UTMB, um, what are your main plans for running? Are you gonna stick to 100 milers, like, you know, like Western States, etc., Or do you fancy moving to multi-day ultras? He's thinking like maybe the Dragon's Back race. Um, yeah. He says he, it would be great to see another home runner um, on the Dragon's Back race. Um, huge thanks and all the best. <laughs> yeah, so the yeah, Dragon's Back race, love to do that race someday for sure. Um, it would be awesome route to do, obviously, through, through Wales. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely on the bucket list, without a doubt. Um, but I think really, yeah, the... Well, yeah, this this year has been kind of pushed to next year for a lot of runners, I yeah. guess. And um, so a lot of the races I was planning on doing this year, I'll, I'll be doing likely next year. Um, so next year I'll be doing UTMB again, if everything's good there. So, so yeah, I'd love, um, yeah, I'd love to go back to UTMB again and, and really uh, try and try and nail it. Um, but yeah, Dragon's Back race in the future would be great. But I think really I'll be sticking to the kind of 100k distance. Um, so two to 100 mile distance for, for the next few years and then think about yeah, approaching into the kind of multi-day world a little bit more um but yeah i'd love to do dragons back that would be pretty and really cool yeah i think a lot of people would love to see a welsh uh, a welsh elite athlete do the dragons back so that would be amazing um so yeah thank you for that and we just got time um oh we did have one question just in the live chat just here chloe mason says do you drink beer harry <laughs> yeah so yeah i do drink beer i don't drink uh, an awful lot um but yeah i'll have the occasional beer um quite often just to be able to to relax a bit if, if, if training's been pretty intense or anything else um just to slow my mind and my body down a little bit it's nice to have the occasional one um but yeah nothing crazy but now and again for sure brilliant um thanks for answering that um yeah loads of there's been loads of chat about um vegan um the vegan food as well quite a lot of people watching are plant-based or kind of trying to go plant-based and they're all sharing ideas here like potato burritos and stuff like that oh, <laughs> and some great comments from people as well like running ram says wow great interview would love to watch this in repeat yep you can do that running ram just uh, go to the beginning again <laughs> um and um and uh, there was another one as well. Oh, yes, Philip Paddock said, um, cool, thank you for answering my question. It's helped me out a lot. He was asking about the vegan snacks. Oh, nice. Um, yes, yeah, so just one last question because something very exciting is happening in the life of you and Louise. Um, and Adrian Camillari um, wants to give you some congratulations. Um, so he says, congratulations for finding out that you are going to become a dad soon um so yeah. he would like to know um how you think that might affect your running um <laughs> if you can see into the future <laughs> yeah so um yeah we'll find out i guess um yeah yeah so i think it'll be towards the end of october so that's really exciting um to look forward to and um yeah in terms of my running and my training yeah, I'll be planning to, you know, race as much as I am now and and, um, and uh, be as uh, competitive as I am now. It might be a, a little bit tricky to start with, but definitely, I'm definitely not planning on, on running any kind of uh, big races into those winter months, um, just as we're getting used to baby and uh, all the challenges that that brings. But for sure, I'm really uh, confident that, that I'd be able to adapt to, adapt to it. I'm very lucky. Um that yeah, you know, I need the coaching work I do, I do from home and then so I can really kind of fit my work and my, and my training if it needs to be, you know, around a, a, a baby and supporting Louise with the baby as well as much as possible. I very much want to be part of the process um, there. Um, and Louise is, is such a supportive, if you haven't guessed already in this conversation, she's very supportive of me and my running and pushing me to, to do the best I can and I'm focusing on my passion. So, so yeah, I think we'll be a good team and, and we'll be able to get it done and, uh, I think his other runners, you know, like uh, Scotty Hawker, Hayden Hawks, you know, good friends who both have young, you know, young kids who um, they've, you know, shown me that you can be at the top of the sport and still be, a, you know, a very active dad. And uh, yeah, so that's, it's great to have friends who are, who are also, you know, young dads, but who are absolutely doing amazing things in the sport. Yeah, it's really inspiring, isn't it? And of course, Killian as well. Um, yeah, yeah Killian, yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're all at it these days. <laughs> 
And but yeah, not so, but yeah, of course, I know it's not going to be easy to any dads out there who are like, oh, you wait and see. <laughs> I, know, I know it'll be challenging and I know definitely anticipating uh, some, some long nights, but, but yeah, it'll be good fun. Yeah, it'll be good for your sleep deprivation. And oh, yeah, I've just thought yeah. that. And actually, somebody's just written that on the live, live chat. Chloe Mason says the sleep deprivation will help you in your long running. Um, so um, I'm going to read out. Look, people have written some really lovely things about you, which I am about to read out to you to end the conversation. But just before we go tonight, Harry, I want to say thank you. And I just want to give you the opportunity to say to people, um, like, because you're a coach as well, aren't you? And you're, um, you obviously, people can follow you on Instagram. Instagram what are all the ways that people can get in touch with you and follow you um uh for any kind of coaching or um any training camps you've got coming up yeah so for coaching or training camps if you go to harryruns.com so really simple um you'll you'll find any information about any upcoming camps on there um so as I said we haven't got anything um planned for the moment um, with the situation with everything going on but hopefully in the future we'll have a few more camps going on it'd be great to do some in the UK or maybe just some kind of one-off day day runs or, or something like that it'd be great to do so yeah hopefully in the future there'll be some some stuff like that coming up uh, but yeah Harry Runs on Facebook um, Instagram Harry Runs so it's pretty easy to find me um, pretty simple handle there um, but yeah YouTube is, is all there and some uh, I think a Q&A went out today on there and the most recent video was the race video was the UTMB video. So if you haven't seen that, please do watch it, share it, like it. Um, be great to hear your feedback on that. Um, but yeah, there's some some cool cool videos from um, from the winter. So we've been a bit bit behind with our videos. Some so, so some footage from uh, the end of last year, and then my training in in Brecon Beacons over the winter um, to look forward to, and then uh, yeah, into a good flow of, with the videos again. So. Yeah, that's about it, really. Who knows what the future holds for all of us right now. But, um, but yeah, be back on the mountains soon. I'm really excited for that. So I'll be making some more videos then. Awesome. That's brilliant. Yeah, everybody give Harry a follow on Instagram, on Facebook, on, on YouTube, and do watch his films. They're really, really good, especially the most recent UTMB one. It's it's just, it's a really beautiful film there. Um, so I'm just um, going to say thanks to you, Harry, by reading out some really nice comments here. So uh, Paul Hamilton says, thanks, Harry. Brilliant interview. Um, Ib Eric Soderblom says, great, uh, with a smiley face. Um, <laughs> Di Wilson says, uh, thank you. Great answers. Thanks, Harry. Harry, certainly um, you and Dan's videos of the Lavarado Trail looked awesome. Definitely one for the bucket list. Mm. Um, and Running Ram says, thanks, Harry. Thanks, Claire. Um, Robin says, thanks, guys. Great interview. John, thanks, Harry. Um, Jasper and says, brilliant interview. Thanks, Claire and Harry. Wash hands, wash hands. And um, uh, Seb says, thanks, Claire and Harry, for an awesome episode. Um, and all the best for the birth of your child in the fall, Harry. Um, King Life Tale says, thanks again, guys. Fantastic. Um, Sharon Jameson says, another inspiring interview. Thanks to you both. Vegan power. Um, Sharon Houston says, great, thanks. And John Airy says, thanks, Harry, as well. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, thank you so much for joining us, Harry. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you tonight. Um, best of luck um, with the baby being born in October. And, um, and we look forward to following you and all your exploits for the, the coming years ahead. Brilliant, yeah, thanks all for watching. It's been great to be on, and uh, yeah, keep uh, doing what you're doing, Claire, and um, all the best on your part of the world there. And uh, yeah, hopefully, you'll be able to go for a run soon. Yeah, that would be great. I will let you know when I'm next in Wales. That would be awesome. Cool, okay, well, thanks very much, Harry, and, um, and we'll see you soon. Awesome, take care, bye. bye.